It's been an incredibly tough time for pupils and their teachers. I think there's been a general disengagement amongst some children because their levels of fear have made them take flight or freeze. This is a normal defence mechanism, a response to feeling unsafe or threatened, which the last year has brought them. But now, back at school, it leaves them feeling unable to interact. Abby has been teaching in a London school for five years. There are students with their heads on the desk and not wanting to engage in conversation. And those are the things that you kind of take home with you and kind of stew over and think, how can I get through to this child? You're listening to Tish with Teachers. I'm Tish Fielden, a psychotherapist and formerly a teacher. In recent years, I've spoken and listened to thousands of vulnerable teenagers in my role as lead therapist at Jamie's Farm, a charity that tries to help young people re-engage with their education. In this podcast series, I'm talking to teachers about practical strategies to help them deal with difficult behaviours in the classroom starting in this episode with the problem that Abby is encountering. So we're back at school after COVID and several different lockdowns and teachers have been working all the way through this and have been really, really trying to reach their students online through, you know, the laptop and then back at school when they're coming back in and they're coming back um, more tired, less resilient, you know, less used to being in school and teachers are feeling really, really concerned. And there's a sense of you, you've not been able to get through to some of those children who seem to be really, really struggling. And some of the things that usually work aren't working this time round. And so I suppose I'm really looking for some new ideas and insights from you, Tish, about how we can reach those more difficult to reach children. It's always a real puzzle when we feel there's an invisible barrier between us and another. And as you say, as a teacher in particular, you can feel very responsible. And even that sense of responsibility um, can create a pressure because you use the language of, in schools a lot. I know you're under pressure to create successes. So it can feel like to, uh, um, to get through to this child would be a success. I think the first thing we have to accept is the way they're being is the best they know how to, to protect themselves because the child that's withdrawn is essentially in a state of flight or freeze from a perceived threat to their safety, a psychological threat or even a physical threat. But normally it's their best way to protect themselves is to put up that kind of barrier to withdraw into their shell to become unavailable because being available is probably too dangerous for them. They might live in a family where there's domestic violence. It might be that they've experienced things that they're holding on to and they can't talk to anyone about. It might be that putting their head above the parapet in their lives is, feels like you're going to get shot at. And so they've learned as a technique of management that being quiet, being withdrawn, being self-sufficient, being contained works best for them. And I think what we need to do is find a language in our classrooms and a culture where we acknowledge that not children aren't behaving, performing to form. 
but they are being the best they know how to survive. And that's the language of vulnerability, where we all can describe that we have our different defence mechanisms that get triggered. Um, as an adult, as a teacher, you can model that. You can talk about, um, I know when I get something wrong, I, I begin to give myself a hard time and then I become even more confused and I'm likely to get things even more wrong. Or you can talk about when I'm feeling shy and, and slightly out of place in the group, it, that feeling gets worse and worse. And so the sensible thing for me is to withdraw from that group. Mm -hmm. to, to describing in gradual terms, if you like, that withdrawal is an okay response to feeling uncomfortable and I think that's the starting place and in our heads if we can understand that for young people we become less um, on this quest if you like because the sheer energy of the quest mm -hmm. to open a child up can make them build another level of wall because that quest in itself unconsciously is a threat that they perceive mm -hmm. it's um, too much too soon so I say let's start with unpacking this as normalizing the behavior that we all have forms of that and then how we normalize vulnerability as part of being human in the school context mm -hmm. and how as an adult and children vulnerability is something that we often choose not to share but if we can build a classroom culture where sharing vulnerability is just as important as sharing successes, then we're beginning to build the platform that child can emerge onto. Mm. So it's interesting hearing you talk about um, what we value and what we look for in the classroom and successes, because I think particularly after COVID, we need to shift those um, those value systems onto we value the well-being of the child so that they can access the learning before you know the data and the lost learning is patched up we need to mm. make sure they're present in the classroom emotionally and feeling safe and feeling like they can belong in the classroom with their peers with their teacher and then we can start to unpack and unravel some of these things that are going on for them absolutely I think you've used those really important words there, Abby, that creating safety and belonging for children. I mean, schools are communities. They're very large extended families. Children have felt excluded or separated from during COVID. Um, and they need to, to build that sense of belonging again, which comes through sharing. And sharing isn't, um, you know, academic success is often com competitive. It's a measured thing. It's hierarchical. We want these children, as you say, well-being is about thriving. It is about emerging as the whole of yourself. And that is a different um, value system. And I think as a teacher, you can hold both those things. You can hold their your sense of their learning potential and you can sense their, their potential as emerging as a whole person, as a, as a functioning, thriving um happier person you can't change what's going on at home but you can change your classroom your your world in your classroom mm. yeah that's really empowering I think for teachers to hear that regardless of your school setting or how long you've been teaching or you know all the different variables actually you are ultimately in control of your classroom bubble and your culture and you're in charge of how that operates and you can do that kind of collectively with the students, getting them on side um, and sharing those vulnerabilities, which 
I think sometimes for teachers with that kind of mask and that persona can be difficult for them and they need to be, be willing to be vulnerable to invite the students to do the same. Mm. And in terms of withdrawn children, I'm thinking of a couple of examples from my own classroom experience and one young girl in particular who will put her head on the desk, will kind of shut down, as you mentioned, with the freeze and will kind of log out of engaging. And she goes from classroom to classroom with this same behaviour. And what I, what really concerns me is that those students are seen as, as that child, that script, like mm. you talk about scripts in your book as well. And we really want to move away from a fixed view of that child and enable them to thrive. And perhaps it's a case of finding some new strategies that aren't on the kind of teacher training curriculum and aren't yet embedded in schools that can supplement what teachers are doing to reach those more um, vulnerable learners. I, th- I agree. I think that, um, the, you know, when you describe that girl, there's, there's all sorts of scenarios play in my head, you know, whether this has become how she, she sees herself and other people see her. So being labelled, a child will perform to the label. Or is it, you know, for some children, it's um, they've almost don't know how to break away from that. It worked for them for a while. And now they don't know how to give up that mm-hmm. strategy, if you like. Um, and so bringing in a, a language in the classroom where we talk about a part of us is feeling something. You know, you could be alongside that child and I can imagine you saying, you know, I can see for you, for a part of you, keeping your head down keeps you safe, makes you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, at, at another time, whether you might want or feel able to be something else. But you keep the wondering as a question rather than a demand or, a, or even a request because you're sowing seeds in children's minds about the fact that they can feel different things at different times, different days. Having the language of fresh starts, every day is a new day. Like you've talked about a lot before, Tish, with the check-ins that you do in Jamie's Farm that I've seen work really, really well. I'm lucky to work in a trauma-informed school and we we have check-ins built into our lessons and students come in and when you go around their name in the register, they say how they feel out of 10 that day. Um, And they can give a reason or they can just give the number either with their hands or just saying the number. So you gauge the kind of mood of the students. And I think our next step is where do we go from there? If we've created this culture of belonging and safety and they're willing to share how they feel, but they're all presenting with a two or a a three and you're thinking, oh dear, I've got some quite unhappy students here, but I need to get on with the lesson. Do you have any advice for how you can build on on the check-in and further develop how they're expressing how they feel? I think the first thing is they won't really open up to a whole class setting. Most of us aren't comfortable doing that. So I would suggest that what you do is that you also allow a little bit of time where they maybe work in a pair and and, and that, that you've built in your classroom um, some ground rules about what good listening skills are. So listening is about... Um, being able to reflect back what you've accurately heard. It's not about capping it. It's not about going poor you. It's not about, um, oh, I know exactly how you feel. 
Um, it's about showing that you've accurately understood. And then in that, maybe each child to say, if you were to move from your, say, example of a two to a three, what would it take? What do you need? What do you want? What might help? So you begin to give children the notion that this is a, a place where people want to help, but also where they have to be able to open themselves to help. So you're opening a door, but it's a small step, not a large step. So, Abby, you know, imagine next term, first day back at school, you're doing check-ins. It'd be really good if you joined in those because then you're modelling it for the children. So how do you think that you're doing this in a futuristic sense? But just imagine how might you check in on a normal school day? So I'm imagining now it's, it's Monday. The alarm has woken me up. Um, it's about 6.15. Got out of bed went for a little jog and started to feel a little bit brighter. Saw some people I often see in the park and had a bit of a smile and a wave with them. Um, so I started to feel more like a, a five, I think. And then got ready, came to school. And as I was coming in, I saw um, Sir holding the door open for me, asking how my holiday was. And it was really, really nice to see him again. We had a good chat and my mood started to pick up. I started to feel like really excited about seeing the students. And then being with my year 10s, um, first lesson back on an inspector calls, seeing them all um, happy to be there. <laughs> I think I'd start to feel an eight or a nine throughout that morning. Okay. So if I'm your listener, you know, you've been quite open about how you feel they may not give so much but nevertheless the listener's task in that is you know I hear that alarm went off at 6 15 it felt very early and it's hard to get out of bed but for you getting out there having a stretch getting some exercise began to pick you up but also seeing other people really brightened your mood and you the an bit of anticipation and anxiety for you around you know first day back to school after the holidays but that moment where you're greeted at the door someone opening the door and you see your group I can hear that there's that bubble of excitement that you felt mm -hmm. um, and so actually your mood has risen as the day has gone on mm -hmm. so we're just reflecting that back is we're trying to encourage children to tune in, to attune to what the other person is saying, not to join in, not to cap it, not to get um, uh, asked questions and not need to compete with it. And when children are heard by us or by another, there is a great sense of relief because the one thing I've learned through Jamie's from listening to over 3,000 children is they crave to be understood. They crave that someone gets them. And actually, if you want your withdrawn child to start emerging, the most important thing is they feel that someone understands to some degree how I feel. Mm. I think that sounds fantastic. And I can really see that working well in the classroom for definitely the vast majority of students. But to be honest, Tish, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there may still be one or two of those really withdrawn, resistant students mm. who just don't want to get involved in that. Do you have any further tips for, for how to engage them? Yeah, I think one of, one of the important things is to acknowledge that children not wanting to get involved is okay. 
because if we put pressure, the more pressure you create, the more back pressure there is. What I would suggest is that you can make it more playful and ring the changes because whilst you want to create rituals that feel normalising in a class, like in your school doing the check-ins, it becomes, an, for most children, an OK thing. It's what we do. I think you can do, um, if you weren't checking in as yourself, what animal would you be today? You know, would you be a mouse or a bear or a tiger? Or... And if you've got children who are really nonverbal, because we do sometimes work with children who are selective mutes, their alternative is they can draw it on a piece of paper or write it so that you give alternatives. I think having creative alternatives is really important. So they can, for example, working with autistic children, they much prefer to hold a card up with a number on it. But within your class, ringing the changes... I think is quite important and adding a lightness of touch and tone because once we get concerned about someone we often become rather intense and I think that what is really important is for particularly with those withdrawn children is to feel that we are not trying to take a sledgehammer to crack a nut well we're not on a mission and that there's a playfulness to conversation mm. and that okay you don't feel like doing that today I hope maybe tomorrow you might uh, you got off of the invitation and you creating something where you could come back to the child who doesn't talk at all to join the check-in and say I notice check-ins are tough for you I'm wondering um, there must be something about that maybe it feels a bit intrusive or maybe you don't feel ready to open up and then you move on. Mm -hmm. So that you're offering a potential empathy, an empathic coming alongside that child, but it doesn't require them to have a, a sort of linear response. Mm -hmm. And certainly not asking questions, why don't you want to do this? You know, yeah. children will fabricate an answer or just go, none of your business. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really interesting. And it reminds me of something from your book. Um, you talk about the language of concern and deliberately using phrases with children that don't put them under pressure and that invite them to open up in a more gentle way. Yeah, I think to say to a child, oh, you seem unhappy, is a big statement for them and they can feel quite threatened by that. I think saying to a child, um, I can see you're not thriving or you're not feeling great or um, I'm, I'm noticing your mood seems low today. Or if you're one-to-one -one with them, say you're walking with a child and talking, which of course is a better thing to do than have to eyeball each other across the desk. So you can find an excuse to ask them to help carry the books or come with you to fetch something. Um, you, you can use that word, you know, um, I'm wondering if you're, something's troubling you. A word like troubling is um, as a kind of, it's got a width and a breadth to it. What is it's so hard for children is they don't want us to misinterpret, but they also don't want us to too accurately get what's happening because sometimes that disguise, that mask, that, um, that withdrawal is because of their fear of being found out. So you are beginning a conversation and you can say that, you know, um, I'm, I'm a bit concerned, and but I'm aware that you don't feel ready to talk right now. But should you um, want to, um, 
you know, I'd like to be available or anyone else you might find. And that brings us on to the post box idea, yeah. which is, I think every class you can have a shoe box that's a post box, so it's secure. You can ask children as they leave the class to do a checkout, and their checkout can be a number, it could be um, a picture, it could be a phrase, it could be a feeling, it could be who they want, if they did talk to someone, who that would be. Would it be a best friend, a, another teacher, the school counsellor? It's a messaging system with confidentiality and it's a messaging system without pressure. And if they each have little post-its, they just fold it over and put it in the box, that becomes a normalised form of communication as they leave the classroom with their initials on it. Mm -hmm. And that gives them some degree of um, anonymity, but it also means that you are, you've, you've got another means of gathering information that might be important that we need to know if there is, for example, a safeguarding issue or that there's something happening for this child at home that they haven't yet been able to disclose. We have to remember that they need to choose who they talk to. Mm -hmm. So having that conversation as a teacher, like, you know, I really get we all choose different people to open up to. Maybe one day you can say, if you if you chose to talk to someone, who would it be? And you put that on your post stick. Mm. You know, if something was going to if you something was going to make you feel a bit better about school, what would it be? Use your post box creatively. It can be where children get to start to message. Mm. Children often don't have um, very much emotional literacy, and this is what we're trying to give them in order to give them stepping stones in life. Mm. Um, and I think that this is a great way of building that. Yeah. I really like that idea. And I think um, you've talked about them being ready and them not being, feeling like they're under pressure because, you know, you can inadvertently push them further away. Mm. And I think the, the confidentiality of the post box and them all having a slip and then at the end they all post it at the same time, you know, removes that stigma of, of being singled out as the one who has a problem and comes forward and puts their yeah. note into the box because you may not get many students doing that. Um, and I think it's really interesting as well um, for teachers who w really want to help these children but can sometimes feel a sense of failure and a real desire to have a quick fix and to rescue the child or to save the child and to feel really successful with every single challenging student um, and so I think it's important for teachers as you've talked a lot about um, to to gradually have tiny incremental steps and changes to getting through to those harder to reach children um, I wondered if you had anything more to say about that I love what you've just said actually I think you have a lot of wisdom about that I think teachers have a lot of experience that somehow doesn't get um, mapped or or valued you know you show that you really have this intention to help students and I think that um, that important thing in what you said there was that we it, the more we have the impulse to rec rescue that the less chance we have of enabling a child to reveal who they are or what they're feeling or what's happening um, we have to create a kind of benign neutrality. Um, we have to create a sense of joy, 
I think children want to talk to people who don't already feel burdened. I think as the staff member, if you become more tense and anxious about those students, you convey your anxiety to them. You might inadvertently mirror the parent at home who's already too full up that there's no room for this child to talk to. I think positivity enables a child to feel that you've got shoulders that can bear the weight should they choose to unburden themselves. Mm. And it will take time. And this post-COVID, it, well, we're, not, we're still in it. There's a lot of trauma and anxiety out there for children. There's a lot of loss, there's a lot of grief. I think if you can create conversations in your classroom, Abby, where children begin to talk about, um, for instance, loss and grief, it may be they've lost a dog, it might be a grandparent, it might even be worse a parent. but what we don't normalise in schools usually is the conversations about the very things that matter to children that they carry around and when they don't unburden themselves they carry it as a weight Mm -hmm. and worse than that it's not just a dead weight it's a weight that often gets heavier because it's like having a virus it's breeding inside you and you're not getting any form of remedy for it Mm -hmm. so I think you're doing all the right things and but you need to hold on to your optimism as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tish. And it reminds me of something that um, a lady called Alison Creer said recently, which was teachers must mod- uh, model a love for life and a love of life. And then that mm. kind of is quite contagious. Yeah. Um, and I think this year has been particularly trying for teachers because they, they want to be positive for the children and sometimes they feel again like they're they're tired and they're exhausted and I think it's those tiny little strategies that you've given us today that can make a massive difference um, and that teachers can hopefully implement straight away into their classrooms to kind of re-engage those withdrawn learners. And I think the last thing I would say is that my greatest learning is through making mistakes Mm -hmm. and learning to include failure as part of building success I think is a really important thing both personally and as as a teacher or as an adult in relationship with children and teaching children that modelling that it's okay to get it wrong and so you may use one of these strategies and you could (laughs) have it fall flat you know and actually have a laugh with them and go well that didn't succeed did it you know it's like well that wasn't what I hoped for without being defensive because Mm -hmm. that's what we can do for children is teach them we all get it wrong we are all vulnerable as well as um you know there's other sides to us we're always a revolving set of um emotions and I think it's just making it okay to share those so thank you Abby thank you really enjoyed our conversation I hope you've enjoyed our conversation too. If you have, please subscribe to the podcast and follow the Twitter handles in the description to join the conversation, hashtag Tish with Teachers. In our new venture into podcasting, we'd really appreciate your feedback, especially by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to find out more about Jamie's Farm's approach to building relationships with young people, we've put a link to the charity's website on the podcast description, along with a link to my book, Creating Change for Vulnerable Teens, which builds on the ideas that we've been discussing today. 
In the next episode, I'll be talking to Annabelle, a science teacher from Ipswich, about how to engage children who are disruptive or who seem out of control and feel they've nothing to lose. I hope you can join us then. Goodbye and thank you. Thank you.